This is FBG Jen and FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo. On the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. And you guys, all three of us were on this interview today. It's with Sarah Wright. And I should tell you guys, by, oh, sorry, Sarah Knight, not Wright. I have to tell you guys, I'm a little flustered because there are a lot of F-palms in this episode. And they're multiple, they're plentiful. If that is a problem for you, you probably don't want to listen to this episode or you probably don't want to listen to it around your kids just to kind of give you guys the warning there because this is the title of her book, You've Been Warned. Calm the fuck down. It's the life-changing <laughs> magic of not giving a fuck. That was her TEDx talk. She's a super funny lady. She was a New York City editor. Now she lives in the Dominican Republic with her husband. She's really changed her life around. She's written several books. And I just super enjoyed this interview. And it's just about learning to obviously calm the fuck down. And do you guys have issues with that in your life? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Like, oh, it is really fun to be able to just say fuck all the time in this episode. Like, oh, this is just the fuck episode. Great. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I have, especially if you enter my home between the hours of, I would say, 4.30 to 5.30, 5.45, sometimes 6 o'clock, is just a shit show at my house. There is so much screaming from, like, the twins. Like, they get really fussy. And then Gwen also uh, usually gets, like, the zoomies and like runs around and is screaming and that's that's um a lot of times when i need to calm the fuck down but <laughs> deep breathing helps <laughs> kind of or i mean to be honest sometimes a glass of wine um <laughs> not that i'm telling anyone to do that but um yeah i kind of really really enjoyed this interview because I think we we all hold ourselves to such a high standard of like being patient and like being the best, you know, mother or business owner or, you know, just neighbor or citizen of the world. You know, like we all got to do the the absolute you know best all the time, which is a really high standard. So sometimes it's nice to just, you know, not care so much, <laughs> like still care, but just lower the bar so that you better recognize what it is that you are doing well. And when there's a situation that you can't control, like everyone goes insane between those hours of the day, you just go, okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be over and it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to be a lot more conscious of the things that I do have control of and those that I don't. And, you know, and really focusing on letting go of the things that I can't control or at least like, you know, doing that deep breathing and, accepting the fact that I'm not going to be able to change it. So just let it be. Um, sometimes with, you know, with varying levels of success, which I think is probably pretty normal. Um, but I also find that it's, it's helpful for me to, when those things come up and I'm like, you know, and there's a lot going on in the world that is, that builds up for probably a lot of us. Um, yes. You know, and yeah, as, you as we're talking yeah. about, like, yeah, like the Australian bushfires and, uh, or brush fires and all of that. Like I, for 
well, not for whatever reason, I'm, you know, I'm a huge animal lover. And so seeing not, not only the fact that it's um, destroying homes and air quality and, you know, all that, but the animals, I, I'm really struggling with seeing all of this and knowing that this is happening and, you know, only, I can only donate, you know, a certain amount before it becomes a problem. Um, but I am really trying to, to take a step back and say, all right, you know, here are things that I can do and also talking about it and, you know, saying it out loud that like, here are things that I'm doing, here are things I can't control, uh, for whatever reason that really seems to help me. And maybe it's because I have, um, like my husband is pretty, pretty darn grounded and supportive and so he's very good at when he sees me getting a little little worked up about these things that I can't actually change. You know, we talk it out and we talk about the things that we can do and and that does seem to be helpful. I wanted to ask How you guys. You, well, I wanted to ask you guys because I I have my issues. I'm hearing an echo on your part. Not anymore? Not anymore. Uh-huh. Sorry about that. Anyway, I, I, I haven't I do have my anxiety issues and I think we bring this up in the episode, but when I'm really worked up, when somebody says to me to calm the fuck down, it actually does the oh, opposite no. for me. <laughs> yeah, no. And they don't, people don't always talk that way to me, but just when people like put their hands, make that motion, like calm down, calm down, that actually makes me more anxious and upset. And I don't know why that is, but I think, do you guys feel the same way? Like when that happens? Absolutely. Just... Yes. And, and be careful after I've like tripped or dropped something that's the same thing for me. Like that is just as triggery. Like, don't tell me to be careful. I am careful. It just happened. <laughs> Shit happens. You it's calm so down. True. You calm down. Yes, exactly. I hate people sneaking so be up like, on oh, me. Oh, you think I'm freaking out now? Wait until you tell me to calm down. Then I'm really going to freak out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's really funny, Margo. And true. I get that way also when people sneak up on me, like it's like very triggering or whatever people and people think they're being cute or they just don't understand. Like somebody comes like out of your sight line that just touches your back of your shoulder or something like that. I, it's like for me. And then they're like, calm down, calm down. I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect this, but you're going to like this interview. She's really, really great. It's Sarah Knight. It's, it's the book. Once again, <laughs> calm the fuck down. I think you'll find some really great tips and tricks here to calm yourselves down and if you guys you don't mind if you subscribe to the show you'll never miss an episode but if if you do so using apple Podcasts, if you can leave us a review there that would be amazing and a few stars we'd love to see that we'll read it on the air if you do so and if you guys want some awesome stickers we have awesome stickers be sure to email us podcast at fitbottomgirls.com and we will put them in the mail for you and i say let's just get into this interview today once again multiple f-bombs sarah knight Calm the fuck down. One more take. Sarah Knight's first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, has been published in more than 20 languages. And her TEDx talk, The Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, has more than 4 million views. All of the books in her No Fucks Given Guides series have been international bestsellers, including Get Your Shit Together, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for 16 weeks. She is here today to talk about her newest book, Calm the Fuck Down. Welcome to the show, Sarah Knight. Thanks so much for having me. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today we have FBG Jen. Hello. And we have FBG Kristen. Yo. 
and I get to ask you the first question. I'm, I was so excited to get a copy of your book. I am a very anxious person by nature, and this book is a real breath of fresh air. So can you please talk a bit first about how you dissect a situation and when you know you can control it or when you need to let it go when you're in an anxious environment, let's just say. Sure. Well, so my new book, uh, Calm the Fuck Down, has a few pretty easy takeaways. Um, And one of the things that I start off telling people about are the what ifs. And those are the things that swirl around in your head that maybe haven't even happened yet. So, you know, what if I'm going to be late for this meeting? What if I don't get the job that I interview for tomorrow? That kind of stuff. And so one of the tools that I provide is um, what I call the the Serenite Shitstorm Scale. And it's all about probability. And so it's about asking yourself, how likely is this to happen? And it's on a scale of one to five, one being highly unlikely and five being inevitable. So once you've determined, wait a minute, you know, stop with the anxious thoughts for a second. What is the likelihood of this thing coming to pass? Then you can usually get rid of several of your worries that are on the more unlikely side of things. Um, the second part of it is, you know, how soon is this going to happen? I like to prioritize things based on urgency, including my anxiety. So if, if it's something that's still an outlying storm, um, you can worry about it less soon than you need to if it's imminent or if it's a total shitstorm, which has already happened to you. So to your original question, if it's something that has already happened, um, what I call the one question to rule them all is, can I control it? And basically, I go through in the entire book, all kinds of real life examples about things you can control and things you can't, the level of control you can exert over them and the level you can't. And that seems to be the one question that really um, helps people with anxiety boil it down to, all right, is this something I can spend my time and energy on or do I need to let it go? Okay. I was just taking some notes. That was good. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how, I guess, what led you to write this book specifically, but then I guess all of your books in general? Yeah, I was a book editor myself, actually, for 15 years in New York City, and uh, I was having a really hard time just with panic attacks and not wanting to get up and go to the office, and the last couple of years of my career were really made difficult because of my mental health issues, and it was a fraught and and terrifying and risky decision-making process to leave my career behind so that I could work for myself, uh, because I just realized I wasn't cut out for the corporate environment, even though I was very good at it. It was causing me a lot of unneeded stress and anxiety. So in 2015, I quit my job and I began working for myself as a freelance editor. And just a couple weeks after I did that, I, for some reason, was feeling very unburdened uh, and had the idea for my first book, which was called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, Obviously, it was intended as a parody of Marie Kondo's Tidying Up book, which was very big then and has experienced a resurgence now because of the TV show. Um, But it turned into a self-help book in its own right, and it spawned four more uh, what we call the No Fucks Given Guides, of which Calm the Fuck down is the most recent. And I was motivated to write that one because I was having a little resurgence of my anxiety. It's been three years. I've written four books. My husband and I moved from New York to the Dominican Republic. So I sold an apartment and built a house and learned a new language. Um, And there was just a lot going on in my life that even though I had this, um, you know, a career change that was working really well for me, there were other stressors that I was having to deal with. And I was like, you know, Sarah, 
in the same way that you were able to fix a whole lot of other things that were wrong with your life before, you ought to be able to fix this. So um, that's how Calm the Fuck Down was born. So with each of your books, um, I, and I know that really you're here to talk mostly about Calm the Fuck Down, but is there, if people are like, yes, you know, Sarah's message really resonates with me. I want to read everything she's got to say. Like, should they start? with the life-changing magic or does it matter or are there would you direct certain people to certain books for certain reasons uh there's two answers to that one is it really doesn't matter i was very careful to write all four of them uh in such a way that if somebody discovered one without having read the previous books they would be able to get into it and they wouldn't have any trouble understanding you know all of the concepts that i take through all of the books like mental decluttering uh however there definitely is a little bit more prescriptive uh advice in each separate book for what different kinds of people might be looking for so, for example, I like to say that The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck is the most liberating of all the books. It's really for people who consider themselves people-pleasers, who are sort of overwhelmed and overburdened by activities and tasks and obligations. And that can come in the form of work. It can come in the form of friends and family. Um, so that's a really good book for people who would identify as people-pleasers and who feel like they're having a hard time living their lives because of it. The second book, uh, Get Your Shit Together, is really about organizing, motivating, goal setting, and going after all of the things you want in your life after you've dispatched with the things that you have to do. So um, the subtitle of that book is you know, Stop Worrying About What You Should Do So You Can Focus on What You Need to Do and Get Started on What You Want to Do. Um, the third book is called You Do You. It doesn't have a swear in the title, so I can say it with impunity <laughs> um, on TV and radio. But that's really a book about self-confidence, you know, self-empowerment, coming to terms with your flaws, turning them into strengths, and just being the person you were meant to be instead of trying to change yourself to fit an idea of what your particular uh, culture and society thinks you should be. And then the fourth book, Calm the Fuck Down, is really geared toward people who would identify as anxious. And that can be people like me who have a clinical diagnosis of generalized anxiety and panic disorder, but it can also be for people who just have situational temporary anxiety when things happen. You know, I say bad shit happens to good people. You know, you're going to have to deal with it. Um, and, you know, there are things in life that make even the calmest person a little bit anxious. So the book is really geared toward a wide spectrum of people on the anxiety scale. I'd love for you to go into a little bit about the four phases of freaking out and what their flip sides are, please? Yeah, so the four faces of freaking out are anxiety, sadness, anger, and avoidance. And those are the four overarching categories of how we freak out, meaning how we react badly and ineffectively to bad situations uh, that I sort of synthesized through all of my uh, research that I did for the book. and. Basically, what I'm trying to do in all of the No Fucks Given guides is offer really simple rubrics for people to break their patterns, to understand that um, a bad 
pattern that they're engaging in can be replaced with a good pattern. So I went through the four phases and I said, okay, the, the worst effect of anxiety is overthinking. The worst effect of anger is making your situation worse. The worst effect of avoidance is never solving your problem at all, of course. Um, so the flip sides to those, the flip side to anxiety is focus. You know, stop overthinking everything. Stop letting the what ifs swirl around like minnows on a meth bender and just focus on one thing at a time. Um, obviously, the flip side to sadness is happiness. The flip side to anger is peace. And the flip side to avoidance is action. So in the book, I give lots of different tips and techniques for how to get yourself um, from whichever and potentially more than one phase of freaking out you're experiencing at any given time to that flip side, just by giving you a simple way to kind of change your mindset, which is really what the book is about. So we've, we've talked, you've touched on people pleasing a little bit. And I think that a lot of our listeners, like it's, it's really kind of hard not to fall into that trap sometimes. So if you are a people pleaser, do you have one kind of concrete thing, one way to, I guess, you know, just stop giving less fucks about it just so that you can kind of stop doing it? So a really, a really practical tip that's in the first book uh, is I call it a visualization exercise. That sounds a little bit woo woo. But what I mean is whenever somebody makes a request of you. Um, and let me back up just to say that in that book, The Life Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, I define giving a fuck as caring about something and then giving your fucks, your time, energy, and or money to that thing. So when somebody asks something of you, they ask you to do a job, they ask you for a favor, they invite you to an event. Um, the idea is for you to think, does this fit in my fuck budget? Is this something that I care about? And is it something on which I'm happy to be spending my time, energy, and or money. And the biggest problem with people pleasers and with people in general is they tend to say yes to things too quickly without thinking it through. And only later when that thing that they've said yes to is looming, they're like, oh God, why did I say yes to this? I didn't want to do this. And then they spend even more, they waste even more time and energy um, you know, worrying about it, maybe trying to get out of it, maybe canceling at the last minute, which is not a nice thing to do. And my whole method is built on being honest and polite and not hurting people's feelings, not being an asshole. So my biggest tip for, for there would be a little bit of visualization when you get an RSVP card in the mail, when you get an email from your colleague asking you to do something for them, just stop and take two minutes to think, how am I going to feel when this check that I'm about to write is being cashed? You know, how am I going to feel when I'm in line at the airport in Baltimore at five o'clock in the morning on my way to a wedding for somebody who hasn't even been a close friend of mine for 20 years? Why did I say yes to this? Oh, I'm going to feel really bad. I should say no. So I really think that it's just a matter of stopping and giving it, you know, just a couple minutes to think about how you'll feel in the moment before you enact that people pleasing tendency to just say yes to everything um, right away. I would love to talk a little bit more about this whole idea of saying no, which I know is kind of novel to some people. Um, because yeah, like saying no, you know, I can't make it to your party that's full of people I really don't like in the first place and that's taking place somewhere I don't even want to go. I mean, Sarah, why does that freak us out so much? Why, why are we so scared to say no firmly and politely and in a timely manner? What, what's the deal there? 
Well, you have hit upon the subject for my next book, which I am currently writing. Um, (laughs) But basically, in the first book, I gave people permission. I said, this is why you're allowed to say no. This is why you should be setting boundaries in your life. Um, And I still get questions three years later all the time. Okay, but how do I do it? How do I do it? I don't, I can't make myself say the words. So that's a topic for for my next book. But to answer your question, um, you know, I think that we are programmed to think that we're the center of the universe, that if we say no to somebody, that's a huge disappointment, that they're going to be upset with us, angry with us. And when I tell people, when was the last time you threw a party and you invite 40 people and you know, probably, you know, the, the odds are maybe 25 of them are going to be able to come. Did you spend a long time being pissed off at the people who said no? I don't. I certainly don't. I think, oh, okay, I'm sorry, you can't make it. And I move on. Um, And it's the same thing if I ask a favor of somebody or I assign a task to someone. It's like if their answer is no, I can't do this, I accept that at face value. And I think most people do. So I really think that we have guilted ourselves into a self-imposed idea that by us saying no, you know, the world is going to end and people are going to be angry with us and we're going to have done a bad thing. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but it's the thing that we seem to need to reprogram. And so what I tell people, uh, you know, who say, well, I'm not sure I can do that. That's, that seems mean or irresponsible or people are going to be upset with me. I say, just try it. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like a drug dealer. I'm like, just try it once. You're going to love it. Um, but usually people say, oh, you know, you're right. The world did not end when I said no. And that gives you the the new pattern to engage in to do it again and do it without guilt and do it without messing up your life or anybody else's. And it's actually, it's a really, really powerful thing to learn. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also say that um, like everything you just said pairs really nicely with the idea of um, of getting rid of those swirling what ifs, because I think it's, you know, that turns into that. You, you think, okay, well, if I tell this person no, what if they think it's because I don't like them? What if it's because they think I, I'm too good for them? It turns into that whole thing. Whereas, yeah, you're absolutely right. When someone tells me, thank you for the invitation. I'm sorry, I can't make it. I just think, great, that's one less cheese, you know, piece of cheese I've got to buy. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember, I got married 11 years ago, and I don't remember who RSVP'd no. I'm sure there were people who did, but it's like, okay, well, you know, that was just one party you didn't get to go to, and one night that I didn't get to hang out with you. Like, it's not, to me, these things are not, um, are not the end of the world, and I think to most people they aren't either. And so if you just practice saying no, I think you'll find that it actually turns out just fine for everybody, and it's one less thing not to mention, you know, one less cheese plate you have to pay for, but one less thing off your calendar, which could mean three extra hours to spend doing something you want to do. And that's really the, the central concept behind the fuck budget is that, you know, you give fewer better fucks to the things that make you happy instead of draining all of them on the things that annoy you. I wish I had known you in my 20s. I can think of at least two weddings where I was asked to be a bridesmaid and I didn't want to do it and I knew it would be expensive, but of course I felt I had to say yes because, you know, you can't say no. So anyway, I wish I'd met you then, but I'm meeting you now. So let me ask you a question about worrying. Is it ever productive? Is it ever really helpful? For sure. Um, You know, I, my, my book has a, a very 
snazzy hashtag associated with it, the no worries method. But I think we all know that there's no such thing as zero worrying. Um, you know, I think you can only do that if you're like a psychopath. Uh, but for me, what I what I refer to as uh, productive, helpful, effective worrying, or few in the book, is the kind of attention, time, energy, and money, again, what I call your freakout funds and calm the fuck down, that you can give to any particular problem over which you can control the outcome or aspects of the outcome. So if something, you know, say you're giving, you have a presentation that you're supposed to give and you're worried that it's not going to go well, you know, you're nervous, there's a lot riding on this, you're going to be in front of a lot of people. Um, that's perfectly natural and understandable. But don't spend your time and energy just curling up into a ball and freaking out about it. Spend your time and energy writing it out on flashcards and practicing it and recording it into your iPhone and listening back to make sure that you've hit all the points you want to hit. You know, that's productive, helpful, effective worrying. That's taking the time and energy and attention that you are giving to any particular thing that's causing you stress and anxiety and, and using it in a productive way. So then there are other things, for example, you know, you're on the subway and it stalls between stops and you know, you're going to be late for your morning meeting. That used to drive me into a panic when I, when I worked in New York city and I commuted on the subway and it happened all the time. And now I would look at that and say, Oh, well, nothing I can do about this. And just, you know, go back to reading my Kindle or staring at a wall or whatever it was that I was doing. And I've told that story and some people might think, Oh, that's kind of that's kind of facile or whatever. But my British publicist now does this all the time. She's like, every time I miss my train or my bus or I get stuck in traffic, I just think, well, nothing I can do about it. And it's completely changed her outlook. So, you know, again, I think that um, it's a matter of really identifying stuff you can control and stuff you can't. And then if there are things that you have to worry about doing it in a productive way. So circling back to our 20s, because um, <laughs> I think Marco's <laughs> point was so true. Um, and I remember actually in high school, you know, kind of as a self-defense mechanism, I definitely got into a little bit of an attitude that was like, you know what, I don't give a fuck about you and I will reject you before you have the chance to reject me. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of fell into that pattern for a little while. And I'm curious, um, can you maybe address, I guess, the difference between kind of that reaction and almost like pretending like you don't give a fuck so that you don't get rejected or you don't feel a certain way versus actually truly confidently not giving a fuck. Does that make sense? Um, well, the, for me, not giving a fuck is not such an aggressive uh, way of being. It's more of a pairing away. So I don't look at it as like, Oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure exactly how to apply that to this particular question. Um, but I don't sort of look at people and say, I am actively not going to give a fuck about you and the way you might impact my life. I just let people come into my life and sort of make a decision like, oh, I really like you. You're interesting. You know, I want you to like me. You're, you're cool and thoughtful. And, and I think we could have, you know, an interesting relationship. And if I don't think that, I just sort of don't pursue any further contact with that person. So it's, it is, it is less an aggressive tactic, like a defense mechanism, I think is what you, you called it, than it is more like, 
a barrier to entry <laughs> um, in my life. And I also think that the older, I mean, I think we, a lot of people have that experience in high school. I mean, I wish I had known the stuff I know now when I was 16. I think some of it is just a learning experience you have to go through. But hopefully if there are people who are a lot younger than me listening to this right now, they'll get a head start on that kind of behavior. And I just say, you know, you, you really can't worry about or give a fuck about other people's opinions of you because you can't control those opinions. You can only control who you are, your behavior, your level of integrity, your own success. Um, and if you can just keep your eyes on, on that prize, then you'll, you'll realize slowly but surely that it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks because you think really highly of yourself. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think that in, you know, some people may, if you were only look at your book title mm -hmm. you know, and be like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like da 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 da, you know, kind of like you are saying, like kind of aggressive, but I, I like the, um, the undercurrent of what you mean by it and your definition of it. I feel like there's a lot of power there. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's really about giving fewer better fucks to the things that make you happy. It's about paring away the things, you know, Marie Kondo would ask you, does it bring you joy? And in my book, because it's a parody, I say, does it annoy you? Um, and really just doing away with a lot of the things, obligations, tasks, events, people that annoy you so that you can focus and be the best, most well-rested, happiest, generous, sincere person you can be for everybody else that's left in your life who you really care about. I love that you've brought up Marie Kondo a couple of times because um, I really enjoyed your TEDx talk and um, it's so good. And I also, I, I think I had read the article that you wrote about preparing for that and how, you know, you mm -hmm. spent so long on it and you nailed it. Like, it's great. Um, but you, you're talking there about how, you know, decluttering your home will last for a couple of weeks or so, um, you know, unless you really adhere to the program and, and keep it up. But if you truly declutter your mind, then that lasts forever. Um, but also, again, you've got to kind of stick to the program and keep making these choices that allow your mind to remain decluttered and remain, you know, you keep, you keep yourself accountable to not giving mm -hmm. a fuck about the things that you can't change. So I'm curious, once I have decided that I am just going to stop giving a fuck about the things that I don't care about, what are some of the, the ways that I can hold myself accountable to that? How can I make sure that I'm, I'm sticking with it? And what can I do on a regular basis to check in to make sure that I don't need to kind of tidy up my mental space again? Well, I'm, it's really all about the fuck budget. And, you know, the, the idea is that you have um, limited amounts of time, slightly renewable amounts of energy, and potentially extremely limited or extremely renewable uh, amounts of money, depending on who you are. And I talk in the book about how, you know, one or, or more of those things might be uh, more or less renewable for you. And it's really up to you to decide personally what, what your budget consists of. But it's always going to be there. So if you just always consult your fuck budget and say, do I have the time, energy, and or money to put toward this thing, and do I care enough to put them toward it, then that's your answer. It's really easy. And the thing about decluttering your house, and I, I, I think Marie Kondo's book is great. I read it myself. I apply a lot of her tactics. Um, but it's, you know, there's a lot of physical 
there's it's your physical space is very different because you have to you're you constantly are encountering objects you're bringing things into your home your kids are bringing things into your home you're moving homes you know there's all kinds of stuff that you have to sort of like constantly be vigilant about when you're decluttering your physical space and with mental decluttering you can really just easily ask yourself a yes or no question do i have the time for this yes or no do i want to do this yes or no and that to me is what makes it as long as you have accepted that you're allowed to ask yourself those questions, um, then you can very easily do that anytime you want. You know, I really enjoy uh, part of your book. It has like a choose your own adventures kind of aspect to it. (laughs) And those are like my favorite books when I was a kid. I read them all the time. How did you come up with it? And did it take a really long time to put that together? Um, Yeah, I was trying to, you know, it's my fourth book. So I was trying to do something a little different. And people love my flowcharts so much. There's a flowchart in every book, like, should I give a fuck or do I have my shit together? And so I was thinking, you know, that seems to go over so well. Is there a way that I could expand on the flowchart that could really take into account a lot of different situations and a lot of different uh, tips and techniques that I give throughout the whole book? Because a one-page flowchart is really very simple. It's necessarily, you know, boils it down to the the simplest questions. Whereas if I wrote it in more of that choose your own adventure style, I would really be able to go into detail. I would be able to have um, tributaries of, of the section go into actual tips that I actually gave earlier in the book and show people how that would um, that would come into being. So yeah, so it was something that I, I, I thought about in terms of what I know people like, what they seem to have responded to well in my other books, and then expanding it into its own kind of fun standalone section. And yes, when I started writing it, I realized how how fucking difficult it is <laughs> um, to basically come up with, you know, four scenarios that become 16 different outcomes that become 32 different, you know, uh, little closing advice sections. And it was hard and I probably will never do it again, but I'm glad <laughs> that it, I'm glad that it exists out in the world and I'm glad that people are enjoying it because every time somebody tells me they like that part, I'm like, yes, it wasn't all for naught. That is a lot of work. <laughs> um, so I gotta ask, like, what what do you personally not give a fuck about, and what do you really give a fuck about? So um, things that I don't give a fuck about, uh, which is a lot of stuff that kind of came with the end of my of my corporate life, is I don't really give a fuck about keeping up appearances in terms of what makes somebody a a professional or a successful career person. I definitely put a lot of time and energy into that when I was um, a book editor in New York and, you know, just wearing the right clothes and walking out the door in full makeup and showing up at meetings and being really, you know, deferential and and kind of overprepared and, and all of this stuff that I thought made me a good employee and a successful one. But really, I now realize that, you know, I'm really good at what I do and I don't have to do it while wearing makeup and high heels. <laughs> so I no longer give a fuck about uh, appearances in that in that way. Um, 
I really do give a fuck about my friendships, you know, and that's something that was falling by the wayside. My friendships, my relationship with my husband, when I was working 12 hour days and working all weekend and working at night and editing other people's books and not really being paid very well for it. Um, and you know, kind of dedicating myself to my career, I was not seeing nearly as much of my, my, my friends and not really spending quality time with my husband. And that was 15 years of my life. I'm never going to get back. And obviously some good things came of it. Uh, but once I, once I redid my, uh, my, my professional life to work for myself, I was like, Oh God, why didn't I do this at least five years ago? If not more, I certainly credit my career with giving me the knowledge and the contacts and the experience to do what I'm doing now. But I, I definitely overspent my fuck budget on that for quite some time. So now it's really important to me to, to, ironically, to be able to say yes uh, to invitations and things from friends and to be able to go out for dinner and not say, nope, I have 80 more pages to edit. I can't do that. Um, so that's a way in which, you know, my my fuck budget has uh, evolved to let me do things that I enjoy, um, even if those things involve saying yes. There are some things that I think are really easy for us to determine whether or not we give a fuck. Like, um, you know, like, I am super into Harry Potter. Love that. Um, but like you, comes to Game of Thrones. <laughs> I truly don't give a fuck, but I'm very happy for all the people who are into it and enjoy their Sunday nights. Cool. For Great. Sure. Yeah. But for those who are really not in the practice of like honoring what it is they care or don't care about, it can be kind of hard sometimes, I think, to to figure out whether you actually care about something that you have been so in the habit of putting so much effort toward, not only because, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, you know, like you've been putting on the the full makeup and the the clothes and trying to make it as a professional, but, um, but you know, it's also just maybe you like things that are attached to it and you do care about those. So I'm curious if, if somebody is like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know. Do I really care? Do I not? Do you have any, you know, any questions that people could use to sort of get to the root of that? Or is it really just a matter of continuing to dig down and finding ways to become more honest with ourselves? It is a matter of continued reflection. I think some of those questions are easier to answer off the cuff than others. Certainly there are, you know, I spent a good year kind of prepping to leave my job in part financially because I needed to set aside money and save money to do that, but also in part emotionally because I needed to make sure that I was really okay with kind of, you know, saying goodbye to this aspect of my life that had been so important and had, and had, uh, taken up so much of my, my mental space for so many years. Um, other things, <clears throat> excuse me, other things I think that you can much more easily say yes or no to a real quick, Hey, do I really care about this, this person, this event, this whatever, and be honest with yourself and then figure out how to, how to say no to it. Um, my second book, get your shit together, touches on this a little bit, um, with the, what I call the what, why method, which is what's wrong with my life. Why? And the answer to that should bring you toward your goal. So sometimes you can say, you know, I'm feeling really bad, like I did in 2014. I'm feeling really bad. I'm, I'm having these problems. This is happening to me on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, what's wrong with my life? I spend way too much time working for not enough money, and I don't get to spend enough time with my husband. Okay, why? Because the industry that I'm in demands X, Y, and Z from me, and the only way that I can 
succeed in the industry I'm in is if I do all these things. Okay, so what's your goal? Wow, I guess I have to get out of this job. And that was really, you know, I was having all this panic and, and anxiety. And, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees when you're having that kind of, um, that kind of panic reaction. So when I actually boiled it down and said, okay, what's wrong with my life? Why? All right. I see, now I see, you know, the path forward. Now I see the goal. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy goal to achieve, but the whole point of that book, get your shit together is that you're nowhere without a goal. You have to, you have to set your goal. And from there on, you can approach it, um, in small manageable chunks. So with Calm the Fuck Down, I, I really enjoyed flipping through the pages and the, the exercises that you have in here. And it's it's very similar to what my therapist and I kind of do in some of my sessions. Mm-hmm. And, and my question for you is, when do you think someone really should seek professional help? What, do, what are some indicators you think? I think that um, anytime you're you're just feeling overwhelmed is a good opportunity to talk to somebody else. It could be a friend or a partner or a parent first. Uh, you could go straight to a therapist or a doctor. You could talk to a friend, parent, um, you know, spouse, and and listen to their recommendation that you talk to somebody professionally. Um, I'm very careful in Calm the Fuck Down to address in many different ways, you know, the fact that I am, I am not a doctor, I do not have a medical degree, I am speaking from personal experience only, these are the things that have helped me, but I recognize that, um, including therapy, by the way, and medication, um, but I recognize that some people have it a lot worse than me, and or some people are a little less capable of analyzing their own bullshit than I am. And so it's really important to listen to people around you when they say, hey, you seem really overwhelmed. You seem really sad. You seem really anxious. Maybe you should talk to someone. I think it's really important that we accept those pronouncements uh, that are made with nothing but good intentions on, on behalf of, you know, on the part of the people who love us and follow through on them, um, you know, if we can, if we're able. And sometimes people don't have the money to go to a doctor, um, but there are resources, there are free resources online, there are other friends you could talk to who have experienced the same things, who, you know, certainly all of my friends have been very happy to talk about their mental health issues with me. So um, that was something that that helped me before I ever saw a doctor. And um, I think it's really important. I think that we should use any anything that is uh, that is available to us to feel better, you know, and that could be meditation and yoga and adult coloring books, or it could be Xanax and Clonopin and CBT. Um, it could be going to a therapist. It could be, uh, you know, taking up knitting, like whatever it is that makes you, that talks you down from that, um, that terrible, that terrible place in your head. So I'm, I'm a big fan of all methods of, of, uh, of mental health help on a little bit lighter note um you mm-hmm. clearly like to cuss i, I think cussing is good for mental health i think that's also been proven and studied um mm-hmm. we like to cuss <laughs> um what do you have any like funny stories or good stories about like I, i'm just kind of curious like what is the experience of having you know an f-bomb in your book title and saying shit and ted like tedx like what 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 has been kind of like, there's been some funny responses or reactions from people. Are we ever yeah, I mean, the, 
It's funny when my mom goes into a bookstore to ask them if they have my book because she's always very, very titillated when she when she has to ask, do you have a book called Calm the Fuck Down by Sarah Knight? Um, it, it's different depending on the, the venue. You know, I'm obviously not allowed to swear at all on American TV or or public radio, um, but I do tons of podcasts like this where it's no problem. Sometimes I write articles for women's magazines in Europe and they don't uh, use the asterisk in my in my curse words, and then sometimes I write uh, for the U.S. and they make me use four asterisks and no letters at all <laughs> in my four-letter words. Um, and I just got back from a tour in uh, in London and Ireland where I was largely able to curse as much as I wanted. So I'm not, I don't know exactly what that says about um, you know about the the world order, but some people do seem some cultures do seem to be a bit less prudish about it. Than others. Uh, what I do think is is funny in a way that I'm like, really, is every once in a while I'll get a, a really nasty review on Amazon that says, you know, there's there are just too many f bombs in this book, and I'm like, what did you think there were going to be? Oh <laughs> like my goodness! Oh, <laughs> the title. Um, oh, but fortunately, those are those are pretty few and far between. So I just try to laugh it off. That's funny. Oh. Well, Sarah, where where can our listeners find you online and on social media and where, you know, if they're not going to be like your mom and go in and ask, um, <laughs> where where can they find your books? Well, they can easily find everything about me and my books on the website, nofucksgivenguides.com. Um, that has all my books, descriptions of them, buy links for all of them all the downloads so you can get those flowcharts that I was talking about. You can even print out the choose your own adventure section because it's kind of hard to read on a Kindle. So I wanted to make sure that people had access to that. Um, you can find my bio, you can find links to every article I've ever written, every podcast I've ever been on, um, video of my Ted talk. You can subscribe to my newsletter and you can follow me on social from there. So I have I have many different social media accounts, some under the No Fucks Given brand and some under my own handle, which is MC Snugs, um, which is a long story. But anyway, uh, <laughs> if, you just, if you just go to nofucksgivenguides.com, you can find everything you need from there. And let me just ask you one more question. It's a question we ask everyone that appears on the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sarah. What was the last song you listened to before you joined us for this podcast interview? Uh, the last song that was playing was my husband was playing uh, the entirety of a Prince album because he was lamenting the fact that um, the Super Bowl halftime show was so bad this year. And so he was <laughs> he was remembering the greatest halftime show of all, which was Prince. So he played that on YouTube and then he put on a Prince album. I don't remember which album it was. So I guess technically the last song I listened to was Purple Rain, but it was specifically because we were watching the, the halftime show. That was a good halftime show. I remember that. Yeah. When he like had the guitar behind. And it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he like positioned the guitar in a very phallic way. Like, yeah. well, he yes. that's kind of his. His thing. That was, uh huh. Yeah, it was great. Okay, great. <laughs> Sarah, thanks for being on the show today with us. I'm so glad to be here. It was a great conversation. I look forward to spreading it around. Love this show? Tell us why in a five star review on iTunes and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay! 
well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitboundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.